This is SG2 Perspectives, a conversation with SG2 experts and industry thought leaders about the biggest trends in healthcare and what we expect that's going to mean for the future of healthcare delivery. People considering what is the financial impact of if we could completely optimize our system of care. They're paid on a fee-for-service basis largely still today, but what is that financial impact if we truly could get every patient to the right setting of care for their specific disease condition treatment? And a lot more thinking in that regard from a planning perspective as health systems think about their optimal footprint in the future. Hello, and welcome to SG2 Perspectives. I am your host, Kelly Richard. Today, we'll be wrapping up our System of Care series with our third segment, focusing on incentives and how they can be aligned to optimize your system of care. With me today are two seasoned experts, Tanya Bosco, Principal on SG2's consulting team, and Corey Jones, Associate Principal of Intelligence and leader of the Cancer Service Line. Thank you both for joining me today. Thank you for having us, Kelly. Great to be here. Traditionally, the system of care has focused on the services and capabilities that health systems can offer to a patient. However, the layer that many health systems have not necessarily added in is the comprehensive way of looking at incentives and how they drive how the system of care is used. When we say incentives, are we talking about patients, physicians, hospitals, all of the above? Tanya, let's start with you. It has to be all of the above payment to the health system for the services delivered across that system of care and the compensation to physicians are usually where we think of incentives, but it's much broader than that. It's incentives to the executive team for aligning the goals across the system overall. It's incentives to the patients to do the things that they're being asked to do by their physicians. At the end of the day, how we're paid for the delivery of services and how physicians are in incentivized are two of the primary ways that we think about it. Great. And one other quick follow-up. When we think about incentives, a lot of the time we think about the difference between fee-for-service and value-based care. Can incentives still drive use of that system of care if you aren't in value-based care in a fee-for-service system? They definitely can. Even if you just think about the fee-for-service system and some of the previously proposed or forthcoming changes to the payment system that are driving system of care evolution in terms of sites of care shifts, That's huge incentive to change how we're delivering care. A lot of times it can be driven by the underlying financial mechanism, but it also can be driven by consumerism, even in a fee-for-service environment outside of value-based care arrangements. I think that's a great point as we think about this, because it is tough to say the incentive program we currently have in place doesn't work. And this is how theoretically you'd have to change it. But theoretically and realistically are different situations. Corey, as our service line lead for cancer, which is an extremely high area of spend, where do incentives enter the conversation? Do you see it strictly as sort of like a bundled payment model when you think of realigning incentives? Or are there other ways that incentives could or have been used to drive system of care utilization? It's a very interesting question. And the bundle payment model obviously is something that everyone's really familiar with. It's given traction to really kind of how value looks. And value does have some relevance to who you are, patients, executive, or physician. The interesting part of this, specifically within cancer or just in general, bundle payment models are important, but I don't think it's strictly just in that area. Even though these models are key devices, the complexity and fragmentation of the, say, cancer and other similar systems of care, I think provide a platform for other incentives to evolve beyond bundle payment models that clearly are focusing on lowering costs. 
multiple incentives can arise from like well-designed systems of caring, either through like development of comprehensive and collaborative networks that kind of promote inter or multidisciplinary referral networks. That's an incentive for physicians alike. The promotion and implementation of like highly coordinated care delivery pathways or evidence-based standards, which kind of improve that patient outcome. So you have that differentiating factor for patients that they're looking for, obviously, and then reducing that uncontrolled and in and out migration of patient care creates mostly a potentially dissatisfying disruption amongst patients as well as physicians. And I just need to ask the two of you, what is the latest on where CMS is going with revamping cancer payment? It's been really interesting. They learned quite a bit. I think they anticipated learning some of the things they did from what they called the oncology care model, which is coming to a close next year. They extended it based on the pandemic. The next generation model is obviously taking some of those learnings as to what that may look like for total cost of care. And they're going to label that the oncology care first right now. And, and they're still under that development. But the next step here is the radiation oncology bundle. What they've learned from the oncology care model to the radiation oncology is kind of how to incorporate the clinical pathways, standards, the cost of care, what should be incorporated in that. And there's a huge amount of understanding how to submit information, the mechanics of the program itself. And I think that there's going to be some interesting things that are going to play out with this particular model. Yeah, the radiation oncology model is an interesting one and having done quite a bit of work with that and getting organizations ready since it's a mandatory model. And then we had it delayed and wondered what would the Biden administration do with that model. But it does sound like as of now that that will continue and go into place January 1st of next year. And so a lot of organizations really scrambling to get ready. They call it an episodic model, which it is in a sense, but it really looks and feels more like capitation when you get down to it. A little bit of a different incentive there, both a professional side and a technical side, or you can be dual, but there's going to have a varying impact depending on if you are professional or technical. So talk about getting to the incentives. It's been interesting to see that play out in the financial analyses of that program. Assuming that it continues, it could have a profound impact in reducing the variation, which is Medicare's goal at the end of the day. As I've talked with members specifically within the radiation oncology bundle space as well, and this kind of speaks to the systems of care opportunity and the incentives is how do you coordinate all those components that have to go into play here to make sure that it's successful, either, either capitation or just the mechanics of moving information and coordinating how care is delivered. I mean, this is what I think the crux of the conversation today is all about in the incentivizing that frame. That's right. And it's a big deal, too. And the physician side, for example, as we talked about physician compensation being a big piece of it, when you change how you're paid for the professional delivery of radiation oncology, the physician compensation for your employed or aligned, maybe through a professional services agreement, physicians is going to have to change, too, because it's often RVU based. So all of these incentives are really interlinked. Yeah. So if you are thinking through variation, when you think specifically about this model and how it could change how a patient might use the system of care, just to bring it down to an example level, what could be different or how would the incentives in this specific payment model differ from the incentives in the regular fee-for-service model? What would the key drivers be of lowering cost and improving quality? Because it's a capitated type model, the organization is going to get paid two different amounts and at two different times. One, when the delivery of the radiation oncology starts, and then at the end of that episodic period versus a fee-for-service payment throughout. 
But I think there's more thoughtfulness around the type and the amount of radiation treatments that are involved in the patient's care, depending on the tumor type or the type of cancer that they have. And then just better coordinated care, hopefully, throughout that radiation journey for the patient, because the staff and the team within that oncology center are really trying to manage within the structure of the radiation oncology model. That's great. And really, when you think about something like cancer, where both from a stress level for the patient, as well as the complexity of the care and the number of providers that are involved, reducing waste or doing less of something like radiation seems pretty important if it's not necessary, as well as coordinating the care and improving communication, which I think is a great example for something when we're thinking about the system of care. How have you seen the system of care strategy evolve over the last couple of years with regard to incentives? Have you seen organizations really think about incentives when they think about their system of care, or is that something that they've yet to do? From my perspective, there's been a much larger focus on that in the past few years, Kelly, thinking about being more accessible to patients and thinking about what services can be delivered outside of the hospital, where the hospital was sort of the center of the universe in much of my career. I think we've seen a lot of progress and change in that thinking over the past few years, and COVID certainly accelerated that too. So people considering what is the financial impact of if we could completely optimize our system of care. They're paid on a fee-for-service basis largely still today. But what is that financial impact if we truly could get every patient to the right setting of care for their specific disease condition treatment? And a lot more thinking in that regard from a planning perspective as health systems think about their optimal footprint in the future. There's obviously wide acceptance of how systems are thinking of systems of care. They're necessary today, as you pointed out. But the aligning of incentives across like the many operational, the service and the clinical elements, even among the key stakeholders has been a large challenge and what that looks like the conversation today. But I think how to best define and use a carrot and stick approach, which even from the patients to the physicians, it's not perfectly understood. Basically, not one size fits all from my experience. And so there's a continuation of what that looks like. Approaches to the ultimate strategic view seems to be under continuous reengineering. We all agree one of the key components of this to be successful is how data is used, collected, and informs the decision. That's a critical part of it, especially as it's being measured and guiding and driving these kind of conversations on all aspects of who's seeing this value proposition scenario. Yeah, and think about the metrics that providers have used to track incentives in the past or even how they're measuring incentives. How has that changed? What were some of the old incentives or metrics that were used to measure incentives versus the newer ones? We're doing a better job of integrating some of the quality and and outcomes metrics overall. So if you think physician compensation, largely work RVU-based, but now starting to pull in different value-based metrics, even outside of the setting of value-based care, having those quality and outcomes metrics. So for physicians, a lot of times the HEDIS metrics. One of the downfalls is oftentimes organizations will pull in any of the metrics that they're being held responsible for from a payer and just make it too many, then you can't get the physician's attention. You can't drive behavior change. So I always say it's about prioritization. We need these metrics and these are things that we're accountable for. But what are the most important ones or the ones where we have the most opportunity for improvement that we can tie into the incentive to drive behavior change? Because you can't keep everyone's attention if you have too many metrics involved in that incentive. 
that's what we're seeing in some of the bundle programs. They give them a list, but they don't say do all, do a couple. Right. A very important point is that you have to have that community understand which ones they're going to be most successful at because they are very complex. Not to just come from the cancer side of it. I think it's similar to other areas. There are some very complex decisions that have to be made from a quality perspective. There are standards, there's evidence-based medicine, but some of those have nuances that just challenge how these systems of care come together to determine, are these outcomes possible or how are we going to manage this? That's an important part of it. The value here is that it's part of the conversation. And I think having payers part of those conversations is extremely important as well because you are informing them in the decision-making about how to incentivize the support of those. That's what I've seen be the common theme amongst these conversations with systems is how does the quality metric look? I love your statement there, Corey, that it's just important that we have the quality component at all, which is a big change in recent years. I was just working with a, a group of physicians that shared with me that they would choose to do E&M office visits over annual wellness visits because their compensation is entirely RVU-based and they can generate more RVUs with the E&Ms over the annual wellness visits. In that case, we want to incentivize annual wellness visits that take longer, but they have an underlying benefit in the information that we're capturing for the physician and managing their care plan going forward. Yeah, it's interesting to a degree. We get a little bit stuck in the middle of transitioning from one measurement system to the next. So you'll say, okay, well, we need to know if the total cost of care is lower based on how much work someone's doing. How should we measure that? Oh, we'll, we'll check RVUs before and after which is entirely not the point. So if you're a health system looking to evaluate incentives with regard to how they're impacting utilization across the system of care, what's the data that you start with? From my perspective, it would go back to both the payer reimbursement and the different methodologies and incentives that you have in place in your payer arrangements, and then ultimately your physician compensation. And are those two linked together? Usually organizations don't just flip the physician compensation methodology overnight. That's a transition time period. It tends to lag behind what the payer reimbursement is, just because it takes a while to have some improvement on the payment model compared to the physician compensation. Shadow tracking is what we refer to it. So we will run the physician compensation plan with the previous methodology and then the new proposed methodology at the same time to show physicians the impact and to show the health system, the behaviors that you're incenting and how that changes over time from a compensation model angle. Yeah, Kelly, I don't know if I'd add much more other than the fact that I think that there is this baseline scenario that has to be coupled with what the long-term opportunity may look within a new payment structure. The compensation models can't be looked in separate anymore. You can't have the physician compensation and then the overhead or administrative and the operational side of things. Agreed. The question we're getting all the time lately is how do we keep our financial model and our care delivery or operating model in sync? And I think a lot of that goes back to incentives and having those cross over both realms. But I also don't think anyone has perfectly figured that out yet. Your comment there just sparked a past experience that I think a lot of large systems in general tend to have with even coming to those kind of commonalities of compensation or incentive is that across the organization as a whole, sometimes those financial structures are different, even from one region to the next. Even when you look at it from a large scale to a small scale, sometimes that one size does not fit all scenario. It's complex, but I think you have to continue to push at that. But that creates a whole nother element of challenge, or I guess I should say opportunity. 
It's interesting that you say that because a lot of the importance of metrics and understanding the difference between them and how one method measures up with outcomes in the next method, a lot of that is buy-in. And it really does kind of push us into the difference between a great theoretical payment model and actually executing on it. The incentives are a huge part of taking a really good idea and making it a reality. Absolutely true. The incentives and having everything aligned is what's going to make or break some of these payment models, quite honestly. Let's end on a question that involves the patients. If you consider how incentives could change the system of care, and let's think 10, 20 years into the future, how do you think that could change the way that patients ultimately access care? I would start with the consumerism aspect of this. From an access perspective, consumers want to have care delivered at a more convenient location. Most people, believe it or not, don't want to go to the hospital, especially the large hospital that's hard to find their way around. Think about hospital at home and the need that that is fulfilling today. And I would see that progressing over the next five to 10 years and more and more services not only be delivered in a patient's home, but even those that can't be in the home deliver at a less acute site of care, but we need the incentives to match up with that. If you think about our traditional health systems, the more we're moving out of the inpatient setting, it does have a dramatic financial impact to the viability of that health system. From my perspective, that's where value-based care comes in too, because it allows you to at least benefit from some of that reduction in spending that's happening from the evolving system of care. Yeah, those are enormously important points. As we know, consumerism and as patients and consumers of healthcare are becoming more knowledgeable, they're becoming more familiar with these types of terms and what that really means for them and how that applies. The incentives not only motivate providers to work collectively and clinically, but the systems of care that are effectively designed and supported is that the consumers of healthcare are incentivized to seek those cares from who offer a better service and a product or ensure optimal outcomes at a lower cost as they become more educated. When you see those access points coordinated and a patient or a consumer sees that, that's where the systems of care, I think, come into bigger play here. And that comprehensive approach and awareness that as you move through your journey of care, and knowing that you have that connectivity, they're going to see that as a differentiator to why they seek it there at whatever systems of care or what system. From a personal experience, most recently, when you actually experience yourself, you can see the opportunities of how care is coordinated across those systems so importantly, and where those opportunities to even improve that or the disruptions that it can create. The story or the takeaway here is that systems of care provide a consumer perspective of opportunity to improve the care delivery. Agreed. And I love that you pulled in the transparency perspective for both cost and quality in a new system of care where patients are accessing care, they should understand how much it costs and also what the quality looks like of the providers that they're accessing. Thank you both for coming on the podcast today. We really appreciate your expertise and look forward to continuing to see how incentives evolve. This has been another episode of SG2 Perspectives. If you like what you're hearing, please subscribe and don't forget to rate and review. We'd love to hear from you. Please connect with us on LinkedIn or Twitter at SG2 Healthcare. You can also reach us via email at sg2perspectives at sg2.com. Reach out and let us know what healthcare trends are most important to you. Please also listen and subscribe to our colleague, Dr. Tom Villanueva's Modern Practice Podcast on Vizian's Medical Leadership Channel. Tom discusses key healthcare trends through the clinical leadership lens. You can find it wherever you listen to podcasts. Thank you for listening.